Welcome to the show. Happy Thursday. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Want to welcome to the program Michelle Lewis. She is running for U.S. Senate here in North Carolina. She is an unaffiliated candidate running for U.S. Senate. Her website is michellelewisforsenate.com. Welcome, Ms. Lewis. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Pete. How are you? I am doing all right. So first off, uh, an unaffiliated candidate running for U.S. Senate. Uh, how, How did you get on the ballot as an unaffiliated candidate? What was that process like? So the process, I'm glad you asked that question, because the process is... Um, not meant for candidates who are unaffiliated to have real ballot access in the state of North Carolina. I'm actually uh, a write-in candidate. So under the names of the other candidates, you'll see a spot for a write-in, and that spot's for me um, because you do have to petition to be a write-in candidate. And so you have to petition the state, but it's a, a very convoluted petitioning process. As I traveled around the state with team members getting petition signatures, what we realized is that you know, some boards of elections didn't know what to do with the signatures when they were turned in. And not it, not me assuming that, like, they actually said that to me, like, oh, I don't even know what to do with these. Um, and so it's been a long process, but really, really glad to be a part of the process, because unless people are running, there's no way that we can challenge these unjust laws, especially with unaffiliated candidates being the largest voter base in the state of North Carolina as of, I believe it was March. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, by registration, unaffiliated uh, outnumber now Democrats. They passed Republicans uh, a while back, and now they, uh, they have surpassed Democrats. So in order to be a, an official uh, uh, write-in candidate where they will tally your votes, you had to get signatures, and you've done that? Yep, got the signatures, turned them. So you get the signatures. Signatures have to be collected by county. Then they have to be turned into each county board of elections. Then you have to wait for them to mail them back to you. You can't pick them up. You have to snail mail them to you. Then you have to get them over to the state along with a report from that county board of elections, along with the official official signature sheet. And then the state um, goes through and verifies all the signatures. So that happened. And I was officially um, named a candidate by the state in April, actually April 11th. Of this year, but folks still Not need April, to. I'm sorry, August, August 11th of this year. Right, so people still need to write your name in. So, right. uh, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and why people should write your name in. Right, so people should write my name in. I say, you know, if if folks are tired of the system that is and are recognizing that the system isn't working the way it should be working for everyday Americans, for working class Americans, for the working poor, for people who realize that the government. Um, promises a lot of things, but then is more concerned with taking care of others than it actually is with taking care of people in our own country. Um, you know, people should write me in. I, so I decided to, I'm a former, I'm a former law enforcement officer. I'm a former law enforcement officer at Federal. I formerly worked at the United Nations where I worked on climate science and climate finance and climate policy as an advisor. And I'm a current educator and a pastor and a nonprofit executive. I, I founded a nonprofit that grows food for families in need because I recognize that there are a lot of folks who fall through the cracks, right, who just need a little bit of extra help, maybe a couple days of the, of the month, uh, but that can't get assistance in our country, right, because they're told they make too much money. So it's called the Peace Garden Project. I grow food for families in need. So I'm every day coming in contact with people who 
like, are, are looking for ways to, to help themselves. We don't just grow food for families in need. We teach people how to grow food. And we're really, like, on the ground working to make communities better where our gardens are located. So if, as I said, if, you're, if you're interested in somebody who's not a career politician who really is out here trying to make our communities better and decided to run when I was in a meeting last year with the governor, with the attorney general, and with state legislators after Andrew Brown was killed in Elizabeth City. And like I said, I'm a former law enforcement officer, so we were in these meetings to talk about um, police reform and policing in the state of North Carolina. And in these meetings, um, these elected officials kept telling us that we needed to vote. And voting was the answer to bringing about uh, reform in our system. And I finally said respectfully, like, Mr. Attorney General, you're, you oversee professional policing standards for our state. And you're talking to a group of people who do vote, you know, some of whom voted for you all. And for you to tell us there's nothing you can do um, feels a, bit, a, a lot like you're passing the buck, you know, and that we need to vote to change this. And so um, I decided to run for office because we do need people who are thinking critically about what the needs are in communities, what the needs are of police officers, right, and how these, how these groups who um, may in some instances have very different needs but also have very similar needs as well, how we can work together to really bring about the change we hope to see um, in our communities. And, you know, was involved after Andrew Brown was killed because he was, he was killed on the street behind my grandmother's house. Um, and so when, when, when those types of things happen in our communities that, that we're that close to, it, it definitely, I think it changes how all of us view what's happening, and we should be looking for ways um, to, to work better in our communities uh, with each other. Andrew Brown, so uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember, this was the individual, Andrew Brown was the individual who was uh, being served with warrants for uh, drug-related offenses and then uh, uh, tried to drive away and deputies right. said, uh, or, and the police that had rolled up to serve the warrants and arrest him, uh, uh, the, the video showed, I thought, that uh, he tried to, he tried to drive away from them. And so what was the, uh, and, and one of them, I think, was hit by him, was he not, uh, in the uh, vehicle? When you look at the video, it doesn't actually look like that. It, it, it looks like maybe the car brushed him, but it definitely looks like he was trying to move away from them, um, that he was trying to get away from them. But, but what the media doesn't talk about is that, um, that there were a lot of other circumstances. He was known to not carry a weapon. Mm-hmm. He didn't carry a weapon. He was known to be compliant, right? If a police officer rolled upon him and said, hey, Brown, get in the back of the car, he got in the back of the car. But he didn't, uh, right? right? But he, but, And I'm not trying to right. litigate no, this no, case. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. Right. We're, we can't litigate the case. But the other thing is um, there were deputies who had been at his house previously mm-hmm. um, in the not-that-distant past who beat him up and took all his money and left. Right, which is what the media doesn't talk about, and so were they charged? Um, no, they weren't. Why not? Uh, do we know why not? We don't know why not, but they weren't charged. It was there weren't any charges brought against those deputies. There weren't, and so when we look at um, how sometimes uh, power is misused, mm-hmm. all right, in communities, right, it, it it makes sense then why he he ran, right, and and recently. Um, you know, the sheriff's department actually did settle out of court. Mm-hmm. Um, they did settle with that family. Right. So, which, yeah, which, which, which raises other questions, right? And I mean, it's, it's, you know, not, not to like Monday morning quarterback the event, 
But, you know, but there were like other things that the media that that the media didn't have access to other information that the media didn't have access to that didn't come up right as and so thinking about okay well if we're asking law enforcement to protect and serve us how do we make sure law enforcement has what they need in order to do the jobs effectively like i i advocate for especially in communities and communities where law enforcement are grossly underpaid because they are in a number of communities and so we're asking people to put their lines on the line their lives on the line and be underpaid, right? So, like, there needs to be more equity in just pay structure and how we care for law enforcement in our communities. But we also have to have a way for taking those law enforcement officers that are doing the wrong thing out of the system. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and it seems to me like that's more of a these are local issues that can be addressed at local, uh, county, city state level even, why a run for U.S. Senate if this is the, the, the issue that prompted you to get into politics? Right. Well, it is the issue that prompted me to get into politics. But what I, because I recognize that unless we have people who are thinking about all of, these, all of these issues together, right, all of these issues together, and I do believe that, yeah, some of these issues can be addressed at the local level, at the, at the state level, but sometimes there, there does, sometimes we do need... Um, to address issues at the federal level as well, um, I'm not in the I'm not in the mindset that we should be over-regulating um, people and industries, but I also do think that sometimes we do need federal regulation just to help get um, communities on the right track and thinking more broadly about what are the best ways that we can serve the people in our community. All right, and if folks want more information about your campaign, they can go to Michelle Lewis for Senate. That's L E W I S Michelle Lewis for Senate.com. And uh, good luck on the campaign trail. I appreciate your time today, Michelle. Thank you so much, Pete. All right, take care. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Along the lines of uh, what my guest was talking about, uh, Michelle Lewis running for U.S. Senate. U.S. Senate. So uh, we had a caller ask about that. Is, is she running for federal or state office? She's running for federal office, U.S. Senate. And um, I had other topics I was going to ask her about, but if you know, if that was the thing that got her into the race, this is her issue. I figured I would just uh, explore that with her, and uh, I, I'm not sure that. I'm not sure that the campaign for a federal office is the best way to go about getting the change she seeks, but uh, we shall see. Um, But along those lines, this uh, this topic, this uh, defund the police effort, not saying that she is a defund the police person. In fact, she made she made the point to uh, to say that she wanted to raise salaries for law enforcement. Um, But the Washington Examiner report by Tory Richards Police officers across the nation are leaving their jobs because of the defund the police policies in cities, leaving personnel shortages and longer response times. A survey of several large cities shows a downsizing with fewer applications to fill the vacancies as crime is on the rise. Los Angeles has even taken the step of offering a rental subsidy in exchange for taking a job at the L.A. Police Department. Law enforcement certainly don't do their jobs for the pay, so when police feel unappreciated, 
they leave. That, according to a uh, reservist uh, uh, who uh, just retired out of the LAPD, this is something I've been uh, I've been highlighting ever since the defund the police uh, slogan was unveiled and this movement got traction. That uh, and I say it, and this is not a, um, this is not derogatory in any way. But and I've told you know friends of mine who are law enforcement, I've said this to them that you know why they pay you so little. It's because they know you'll do the job for that pay. Because you want to do the job. There's a people are called to do the job. Now, does that mean bad people are called to do the job? Absolutely, there are bad people that are called to do that job. Just like there are bad people who are called to the teaching profession, right? Or the radio hosting profession or or any profession. Bad people are all around us, right? So the people who populate the ranks of the police departments around America, but also fire departments, right? They are underpaid for a reason because they will do the work. They enjoy the work. They enjoy the job. They will do the job for that pay, as is evidenced by the fact that they do the job for that pay, right? So what is it about the job that is attractive to them? I mean, yes, there's some, you know, adrenaline junkie kind of component there. Right. People who uh, are trained in a certain way, they have certain priorities and they have certain ideas about themselves and, and that sort of thing. And, and they like the, uh, you know, no day is the same. That was one of the things I liked about being a reporter. You talk to all these different people every single day. It's a different kind of gig than being a talk show host. I get to talk with people. I get to talk with the audience. But, you know, when I was a reporter, I was going out to all sorts of events. I was meeting all new people. Every single day was a different day. So there is that component of the of the job. But there is also something about the nobility of the profession, right? People get into law enforcement, they get into the military, they get into firefighting. They do these things because they believe them to be noble of societal value. And when you denigrate that profession and all those who are in it, the people who see themselves as the good guys and they want to be on the team of the good guys and they want to help protect innocent people, in other words, the sheepdogs, when you tell them that all sheepdogs are wolves, they do not want to be a wolf. And so they won't be a sheepdog. They will just not be in that profession. They'll find something else to do. I suspect that's in large measure uh, why we're seeing a lot of the... uh, Uh, a lot of the attrition in the ranks uh, in police departments all over America. Last week, I had in studio two other candidates non-major party candidates to other alternative party candidates. Uh, what do we have? Uh, Shannon Bray and Matthew Ho. And during the course of that discussion and uh, with Michelle Lewis uh, earlier, she mentioned uh, climate change as well. And uh, I mentioned during the discussion with Bray and Ho there was a, a report that had come out from four leading Italian scientists who did a review of historical climate trends. And 
they said that any kind of declaration of a climate emergency is not supported by the data. And uh, I mentioned it the other day. I haven't gotten a chance uh, to get back to it, but I have one now, so let me do it. This is from dailyskeptic.org in a piece by Chris Morrison. Reviewing data from a wide range of weather phenomena, they say that a climate crisis of the kind people are becoming alarmed about is, quote, not evident yet. The scientist suggests that uh, rather than burdening our children with anxiety about climate change, we should encourage them to think about issues like energy, food and health, and the challenges in each area with a more objective and constructive spirit and not waste time or sorry, not sorry, not waste limited resources on costly and ineffective solutions. During the course of their work, the scientists found that rainfall intensity and frequency is stationary in many parts of the world. Tropical hurricanes and cyclones show little change over the long term, and the same is true of U.S. tornadoes. Other meteorological categories, including natural disasters, floods, droughts, and ecosystem productivity, show no clear positive trend of extreme events. Regarding ecosystems, the scientists also note a considerable greening of global plant biomass in recent decades. Why would, why would the Earth be getting greener? Well, anybody who remembers botany, right, or basic science classes from junior high and high school, more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere means more of the stuff that plants take in. And they grow faster. They grow bigger. There have been numerous studies that prove this, right? They show that you pump a container with a plant in it, you fill it with extra CO2, and the plant grows faster and bigger than the plant that is not getting that level of CO2. Satellite data show greening trends over most of the planet. And what does that mean? That increases food yields. It pushes back deserts where, as far as I can tell, you can't really grow a lot of food in the desert. Uh, apparently, though, you can make water if you are on the planet of Tatuni. Um, historically, about 60% of all economic damage caused by global disasters, 60% of all the economic damage caused by global disasters, U.S. hurricanes. I had no idea. I had no idea about that. Which, But it makes sense if you think about it for a moment, right? If you're taking a total number of economic damage from global disasters and you look at a disaster that occurs in, uh, in a very poor country, that poor country is probably not going to have a lot of the infrastructure and uh, – it's not going to have a lot of the uh, you know, buildings and structures and stuff that the coastlines in America along the, you know, the, the eastern seaboard has. So when a hurricane comes in and destroys a whole bunch of territory, there's just more stuff built in these spaces here, and it's of higher uh, you know, monetary value. Also, to date, global observations, they say, do not show 
any significant trends in both the number and the energy accumulated by hurricanes. This is a paper that's called A Critical Assessment of Extreme Events Trends in Times of Global Warming. It was published in the European Physical Journal Plus. I'm going to jump ahead here to the, uh, to the conclusion at the end of their paper. Since its origins, they say, the human species has been confronted with the negative effects of the climate. Historical climatology has repeatedly used the concept of climate deterioration in order to explain negative effects of extreme events, mainly drought, um, cold periods, diluvial phases. I don't know what that is. Um, Today, we are facing a warm phase, and for the first time, we have monitoring capabilities that enable us to objectively evaluate its effects. Fearing a climate emergency without this being supported by data means altering the framework of priorities with negative effects that could prove deleterious to our ability to face the challenges of our future, right? If you squander natural and human resources now, right, you're going to have problems later when you need those resources and you no longer have them because you were fighting the wrong fight. This does not mean we should do nothing about climate change, they say. We should work to minimize our impact on the planet and to minimize air and water pollution. Whether or not we manage to drastically curtail our carbon dioxide emissions in the coming decades, we need to reduce our vulnerability to extreme weather and climate events. Right. This is the way you survive. You, I mean, what is the focal point, right? What's the objective? If the objective is to save humans, then you want to build the infrastructure so it can withstand these kinds of natural disasters, these events, floods, typhoons, uh, you know, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes. Leaving the baton to our children without burdening them with the anxiety of being in a climate emergency would allow them to face the various problems in place. With a more objective and constructive spirit, with the goal of arriving at a weighted assessment of the actions to be taken without wasting the limited resources at our disposal in costly and ineffective solutions. If you take all the money and you spend it to reduce CO2, and then you don't have money to protect you know, developing countries or even, you know, or in America, like to protect against hurricanes. Was that money well spent? How the climate of the 21st century will play out is a topic of deep uncertainty. We need to increase our resiliency to whatever the future climate will present us. We need to remind ourselves that addressing climate change is not an end in itself. And climate change is not the only problem that the world is facing. The objective should be to improve human well-being in the 21st century while protecting the environment as much as we can. And it would be a nonsense not to do so. It would be like not taking care of the house where we were born and raised. So these aren't, these aren't deniers, right? These aren't climate change deniers. No, they're saying we should be be guarding against climate change, right? We have to take care of the house we live in. However, what's the purpose of protecting the house, right? It's to improve human well-being. And if the things that you are doing harm our well-being, is that juice worth the squeeze? That's what they're asking.
is the juice worth the squeeze? And what their analysis of the trends say is it's not. This is not a climate emergency that we are in. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Let me go over here and uh, get Brian on. Hello, Brian. Welcome to the program. How are you? Brian? Doing well. Good. What's up? Oh, boy. This is this is a lot of information. I'm trying to whittle it down to the basics. You remember when we lived over there on Selwyn Avenue, apartments <laughs> of 3,400? <laughs> yes, I do. So for folks who may not be aware, Brian, I think it was like, what, my first day I got back on the air here and you called. And uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. You have a pretty distinctive voice. And I recognized your name and obviously your voice when you called in and you said, hey, yeah, we used to we we met in the in the fitness center at our apartment complex. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's where I know Brian from. Ah, there you go. I Thanks for the. Thanks for the uh, little marketing uh, blitz there. Yeah, I don't know. You, yeah, I'm not getting paid for it either, so uh, I don't know what's <laughs> up with that. So what's all right? So uh, all right. So yeah. So uh, I do remember right when we were over there at the the apartments. All right. So when it gets hot and there, when there's more carbon dioxide and the plants absorb that, they get bigger and taller and they have more shade. Right. right? Yes. Okay. So if you were to go down to Queens Road West. And you see all those those canopy of trees. Yeah, the temperature is significantly less down there than it is the actual temperature, which is measured out at the airport. Right, which yeah. where that's where a whole bunch of people live. That's why we're always so interested to know what the temperature is at the airport because like tons of people live there. No, here's a, but here's no. I get your point, and here's here's a because uh, I live actually now uh, sort of out near the airport, um, but uh, we're in a new newly developed. Uh, subdivision, and they planted one tree, one tree on our property. I mean, they clear cut and demoed everything, right? It was all woods. They tore it all down, and then they they built all the houses, and then they gave us one tree for our property, and that's it. So yeah, my property now is way hotter than the apartments were over there in uh, Myers Park. Yeah, and 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 my whole point is that the earth has the, na- the natural capability to heat and cool itself through sick little years. I don't know how long it takes, 50 years, 100 years, whatever, maybe longer. And this farce about the planet is getting so hot is is unfounded. It's not substantiated. Right, and which is... point. Yeah, and that's what these uh, scientists uh, said in this paper. They said, you know, look, you obviously, you're, we are in a warming trend. We are in a warming phase, but that okay. this is not a climate emergency. And here's the other exactly. thing, right? There, there is this built-in assumption that the temperature right now is the optimal temperature, and we can't let it change. It has to stay where it is. But who are we to say that this is the optimal temperature? How do we know that? It's, it's never static. The temperature right. is never the same. It's always fluctuating. Is that your point? Yeah, and and, and uh, you know we don't know. I mean, you look at the the uh, the uh, age of the planet. It's gone up and down and up and down, and you know you get hit by asteroids, and so you get a volcano eruption and stuff. Like all of these things have global impacts. And I said it before; I'll say it again. The sun has huge impacts on our uh, our weather events, 
and uh, the temperature and cloud cover when you know, water vapor which is like that's the biggest uh, greenhouse gas and so you have you have all of these uh, other things besides us that are contributing and and adding and subtracting to the to just a temperature reading there you go yeah so, all right buddy i appreciate it good to hear from you man all Bye, right Pete. that's Take brian care. all right uh th- I-, I use this uh, analogy it's uh the oven the oven do you ever you ever cook something in an oven? You ever stand around the oven and uh, as it's cooking and you hear the oven turn on? And then a couple of minutes go by and all of a sudden you hear it turn on again. Like, oh, it just happened there. Or how about this? Air conditioning or heat in your house, right? You hear it, you hear it turn on every now and again. Why does it keep turning on? Shouldn't it just be constantly running the whole time? I mean, I guess it would on like a really hot day. Your AC is going to run all day. But no, it doesn't. It, it turns on, it cools, and then it shuts off. Same thing with an oven. It heats up, it gets to a temperature, and then it turns off momentarily, right, for a little while, and then it turns on again and it heats up again. What, what's it doing? It doesn't maintain a constant temperature. It's going a little bit over, and then once it hits, you know, five degrees over, it stops, and then it gets cool, 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 and goes down to, say, five degrees below what you set it. If you set it at 350, it'll go up to, like, 355, 360, and then it'll turn off, and it'll drift back down to 345, 340, and then turn on again, and then turn off again, turn on again, turn on, and it goes up and down, right? That's Why would we think that you could create, as Brian said, a static temperature, and that that's what it has to be, especially when you hear that the planet is getting greener, you have more trees, and I, look, I, I am a, I am a proponent of preserving forests. I like forests. I like looking at them. I like walking through them. I, you know, if I'm not going to be attacked by various things that live in the forest, like I, 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 I'm a big fan of nature and looking out at nature. Sometimes I think nature gets a little too crazy. I think that, like, you know, if I want to see nature, I think I should be able to cut down some trees so I can see it because the trees block my view of the nature. People think this is paradoxical. I do not. But um, the trees and, the, and the, the bushes and the flowers and all, if all of that is benefiting from the CO2, why would we think that there isn't a regulatory kind of benefit? Plus, all of this goes out the window as soon as a volcano erupts. And once that happens, then like all of the temperatures are going to be out of whack. All right. Up next, we've got some uh, information from the EcoHealth Alliance. Do you remember them? EcoHealth Alliance. A major funder of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, a former vice president for EcoHealth Alliance, has produced some interesting information. That's up next. (laughs) 